we are not allowing these people, these young people, to grow and own. And the key to that is failure. I'm James Zug, and this is Outside the Glass. 15 months ago, at the 2019 FS Investments U.S. Open in Philadelphia, I sat down with Paul Asiani. I've talked with Paul literally hundreds and hundreds of times. A lot on the phone. There was a time when Paul and I spoke once a week for seven straight years. We spent hours together in his office or at his kitchen table or driving to a match in the van or in the gallery at a squash tournament or on the road to promote our 2010 book, Run to the Roar, Coaching to Overcome Fear. Soon to be, as we like to say, a major motion picture. But I think we've never before recorded one of our conversations. For nearly a half century, Paul's been coaching squash and mentoring young people, including nine years at Army, two at Williams, and he's now in the thick of his 27th and most definitely strangest season at Trinity. For decades, he's been a major Team USA coach. He's led the squad at three different Pan Am games, numerous Pan Am Fed games, and World Team Championships for both adults and juniors. Since 2014, he's been the Gannick family, U.S. squash, head national coach. He's won 17 national intercollegiate titles, tied for the all-time record with Harvard's Jack Barnaby. And Paul's closing in on his 600th career dual match win, far and away the most ever. In 2016, he was inducted into the U.S. Squash Hall of Fame. For a long time, Paul and I have talked about ownership. It was the title of the first chapter in Run to the Roar. And well before The Atlantic ran a 6,000-word feature this past November about crazy parents, Paul was talking about burnout and the fear of failure. And he was talking always about his favorite quotation from General Douglas MacArthur. Upon the fields of friendly strife are sown the seeds that, on other days, on other fields, will bear the fruits of victory. He's always been thinking about those other fields. And so here, to start the year 2021, I give you my old friend, colleague, and co-author, Paul Asiante. So you and I have talked about this a lot, about... um, uh, parenting in the 21st century and um, you know when you started working with young people in the mid 70s um, parenting was a whole different um, yeah. exercise and uh, so why don't we talk a little bit about how how we got to where we are and then maybe talk about where we are now uh, and, and then talk about you know how to handle it yeah, it's it's clear to me that things things have changed. Things have changed in the last three years. It, it's accelerating, mm. um, and it all has to do with ownership. And the success only comes from ownership. And I feel that we're crippling an entire generation of young people by not allowing them to own their journey. And you know, I heard a comedian the other day. Um, he was saying when he was a little boy, he'd walk by the window of the kitchen and the mom would say, where are you going? And he'd say, I'm going to the lake. And she'd say, don't drown. Now, little person walks by the window, where are you going? I'm going to the lake. 
Mom sprints out of the house, puts their swimmies on, suntan lotion all over the bodies, and probably goes down to the lake with them. Mm. And now that's a little different. That's about safety. But we are not allowing these people, these young people, to grow and own. And the key to that is failure. We, in, in the name of love, will do anything to uh, make sure that they don't fail. <clears throat> we don't want them to skin their knee. We don't want them <clears throat> to have a, a failing grade. We would rather hire people to work with them to make sure they get a good SAT. And we just can't deal with them failing. And with failure comes the adjustments and the development that ensures success later in life. And I'm, I work at a university, at a college, and the kids that come in now look more put together than they've ever looked before. Right, right. And on the, the surface, yeah. On the surface. And the, as soon as they hit first adversity, they fall into a million pieces. I had a, a recently I talked to a parent who had come down to see their child. And at the other end of the conversation, the parent said to me, we don't feel comfortable that we're being, the heavy, we're being made to feel like the heavies right now. Mm. And my response was, if you're not going to be the heavies, who the hell is going to be the heavies? I mean, we, we have to provide our young people opportunities through which we know they're going to fail and then be there with them to help them understand what just happened and embrace that adjustment going forward. It's not happening. So when did this start? Or like what, did you see this in the 70s? No. 80s? No. 90s? No. So, so in 1994, when you got to Trinity, 94, not at all. This wasn't happening with not with your all. with your kids. No, Steve Gregg's parents sent them off to school. And that John was it. Freeman's parents yeah. sent them off to school. It's not. This is a new. So, phenomenon. so it's happened since the turn of the millennial. Yeah, millennium. this is the new. And phenomenon. and why? Like, what's happened in in the squash community, or what's happened in the larger society where? Parents are much more involved. It's before cell phones, before smartphones, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. But it, that the smartphone has certainly accelerated the uh, vehicle in which they are communicating with each other. The the iPhone, the cell yeah. phone. So we now call them Generation I for iPhone. Right. It's crippling. It's crippling them. I, it, so I talked to a friend of mine. I said, "Oh, your kid's a freshman in college." I was like, "Oh, it's oh, great," you know. He's like. It's like, wait, I said, do you, how do you keep in touch? Like, what's your pattern of, you know? And he says, well, you know, we don't, we're not really that in touch. You know, it's really, it's her experience. You know, he said, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we talk on the phone, you know, once or twice a week. I was like, oh, yeah, like, like we, you know, we did when we were in college. He goes, well, we text every day. Yeah, several times a day. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing about it is, you know, there's no realism. These children have to be perfect. And, and you know, one of the big contributors to that in my mind is the internet, or rather the, the phones, because with selfies, you only send perfection. Mm, right. And so everything about the them filters is and always filters, in this yeah. perfect setting. Right. And it's failing is so important to our survival. Right, right. And it's not being allowed to happen. We're seeing it now in this politically correct environment uh, in schools mm. where we will not, um, we will not come down on a young person for fear of them suing up. Yeah, 
you told me a couple hours ago that you sometimes hear from lawyers. I do, all the time. Which is crazy. Oh, no. Right? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or there's always the underlying threat. That, that, that they will. Yeah. yeah. You all of a sudden, you're having email exchanges with parents. Oh, this is great. And then all of a sudden, something goes differently than they want it to go. And then all of a sudden, you start hearing legalese. You know they're now talking to somebody. That the whole tone of it changes. And you know, oh my gosh, we're moving in that direction. So uh, a lot of this is parental anxiety, right? Mm. Um, that they're not doing a good job, that the, the kids down the street are doing better, or what, 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 what's driving this with the parents? Because the kids don't want this, right? Or do, or do the kids actually... They don't know. They, they don't know. They it's don't just know how they're being raised. Yeah. yeah. They have no point of reference in this. Right. It's... Um, so the parents are different than they were 30 years ago for yeah, you. It's not the kids. Yeah. And I'm not smart enough to be able to tell you why, but I've heard something along the way about our parents, you know, grew up in the... Uh, depression. Depression. Mm. And then this happened. And, you know, and, and the progression naturally went to, to all of a sudden to working parents and then that changed, right. you know. Both so working, that yeah. clearly this has been percolating societally in the background yeah. and, and now it's the perfect storm. Right. And um, it's really shocking to, so I mean, re, okay, in squash we have this rule that you cannot leave the court to throw up. I'm at the under-11s tournament, and it's Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and these two little munchkins are running around. The racket is as tall as they are, and they're, but they're playing very good squash. And then you see in the boy's eyes this look of panic that he's eaten too many tater tots. So he comes off the court, he throws up in the garbage pail, he goes on the court, and the two pros for the other 11-year-olds, stop the match, this, he has to be defaulted. No, we have to, we have to default to, he's 11. He's not even 11, he's, he's not even nine. A, he's, let him play on. I mean, what are we doing? Mm. You know, we see, um, my parents would come to things and they were mostly there to, you know, just pat me on the, the back and say, uh, you know, boy, that was fun to watch. We're seeing emails now where parents are looking at the point totals of tournaments right, to make sure that so-and-so has the right numbers to qualify to go to the, you know... British Junior Open. Or whatever. Yeah. And, and there is a... And, and so this is all theirs. Mm. It's not the young person's. Mm. And I don't know why. College became a big deal. I mean, obviously, when the New York Times sent out that article years ago, you want your child to go to a better college, teach him squash. Right. And that became a, a, a driving force. It really, yeah. it doesn't tickle me, it depresses me when I hear a young person say, I really wanted to go to Dartmouth, but um, I wasn't sure I'd get in. But it was my first choice. I'm a good student. And then I spoke to another coach of a perhaps not as um, lofty school, and the coach said, 
you, your pre-read is good, you've got 24 hours to commit. Right. And the child says, what the heck do I do? I want to go to Dartmouth, but, right. I, but I, I, I can't right. wait, can I? Right. And where in the world did it come to the point where these schools are only admitting three kids a year? Of course they're not admitting three kids a year, but the coaches have that much power over mm. the whole process. And people are freaking out. And, and it's just, it's very unhealthy. Um, it's also become, our sport has always been a sport that was fairly, you know, a high demographic sport. Now, if you're not uber high, you can't keep up. Because of the, the all your coaching, all year round coaching, the, the travel. Travel. The, 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 it, it's really expensive to, to yeah. compete with the kids who are getting yep. that attention. No question. Private coaches. Yep. I mean, the if you're not flying in a private jet to San Francisco for a tournament, how do you keep up with that? Right. You know, the, the costs are astronomic. If you <clears throat> happen to be fortunate enough to be born in Brooklyn Heights, mm. um, you're going to have some of the best coaching. Right. There has been a huge uh, hue and cry about inaccessibility, inaccessibility of courts in New York City, one of the greatest cities in the world. And no access. Right. You know, people playing on one private court here or one private court there. Now, fortunately, the access is beginning to loosen up. And yeah. being, right. But still, the financials are driving right. this. And what's driving that seems purely the college admissions. It's a, it's a right. major factor. I was very pleased to hear what you told me yesterday about the, the percentages of international kids yeah. versus American homegrown kids right. to be able to go to college. Right. I, I was very happy to hear that. But um, happy that there were so many countries sending kids to American colleges or happy that actually there are a lot of Americans still playing college squash. Really happy that a lot of Americans have yeah. access to the college Even though game. the perception is that's yeah. wrong, but it's actually not right. Really not well, you know, the perception is the head of the snake is what we all focus on. So here, today, there, there are 16 squash players playing. Mm. Um, only six of them are from Egypt. Right, but the perception is Egypt's taken over the world. Well, right? because one, two, three, four in the world are so. Egyptians. And yeah. and now that's what we're seeing in the college game, isn't it? Right. I mean, so it's very interesting. But I am really worried about the future of young people in our society with strong extracurricular expertise, right. whether it's violin or track and field. I was recently on a panel with Dr. Jim Lair, and he blew, right. it blew my mind what he was saying. And what he said was when a baby is born, put, let's write up on a blackboard, what are the three things you want for your child? Mm. You want them to be healthy. Happy. You want them to be happy. Contributing. Yeah. Good members of society. Right. Then you decide to introduce your child to an extracurricular activity. What were your esoteric goals? Teach them how to play nice in the sandbox. Right. Help them develop confidence. Right. Um, Face challenges and overcome them. Yeah. Anywhere in there did it say be a national champion? Anywhere in there did it say use squash to go to Harvard? Right. Where did you people lose your mind? Right. And I think to some extent the pros are very tied into this. 
whether we're driving it or whether the family is driving it. You can talk to any teaching pro in America who is working with a, a group of young people that are going through the high school process. And they can tell you what college coaches they spoke to this week. They are deeply involved. They're actually promoting themselves as people that will help their children get into college. Right, right. And it's stunning. Yeah. And so... The middleman. Yeah. I try to go through life as an optimist, but in this area, I see no bright light. You said uh, a couple years ago that your favorite tournaments are when the parents can't be there. Oh, yeah. When, you know, so the U.S. squash has this wonderful academy, and, um, and the parents drop them off. And drive away. And drive away. Like and we, the old days. And they're not allowed to be there. Right. And we tell the young people, if you looked behind you, you saw mom and dad holding hands, skipping away merrily, because they're not going to see you for two weeks. So put your cell phone down. If you have a problem, you come to us. The kids have a blast. Right. Because all of a sudden, there's not this pressure behind all the time. Yeah. And if you, if you yeah. ask the parents, many of these are our friends. They're not yeah. aware. Right. I was at the right. Nationals this past year, and there was another uh, under 11. And the parent was a very good doubles player from our era. And his child was going nuts on the court. And the parent turned to me and said, do you think I'm doing this kid any favors? <laughs> and, you know, it was like, oh, my God, I'm embarrassed at what I'm seeing. But that will morph. That will morph. And um, So are you seeing this with, I mean, the pressure to get into college? So they get to college, right? Now, are you seeing at, your, at Trinity or just in the, in the college ranks kids burning out before they graduate at, at a level that is different than sort of in the 80s and 90s? No, I don't see them burn out. I see them sit back and breathe a sigh of relief. The job is done. Mm -hmm. And so they sort of plateau. They plateau, and mostly they play now for the fun of it. So, so they, they maybe not improve at the same level. The, the trajectory changes, but they're actually just saying, well, I, you know, this is fun, and, and, yeah. and I'm not going to push it. But and now I own it. Now I own it. Mission accomplished. I got into that school. school. Right. And we're, we're seeing that a lot. It was one of the things that under Kevin and Rich's um, time, we were been able to start to shift for U.S. squash because college squash had become the great American graveyard. And maybe, maybe Ned wants to play when he graduates or maybe Julian. But those were anomalies. But well, and they did it completely on their own. Totally. There was no own. guidance, no, no no structure. Now we're able to keep these young people involved with U.S. squash right. through some tournaments, through you know giving back to these academies, that sort of thing. There are three young people in college today that we know for a fact on seniors in October, they're turning pro. Right. And we've worked with them that whole way through. But again, those are the unusual ones. And for the rest, they're just playing to have fun. And so are you seeing burnout? You know, one, one thing that seems to be happening more, um, I think, because of softball and the fact that these you know, kids are playing all year round, um, where 25, 30 years ago, 
guys put down their rackets in the spring generally. Sure. Uh, are they burned out in the finishing college? Um, the parental attention seems pretty strong with the college teams, right? You have most of the parents come to matches and, and yeah, but and in the, with a different feeling altogether. Really? Yeah, because it's, it's a team. Well, no, they're done. Job mission accomplished. Yeah. Getting to college was all they that wanted. Was it. That was, and now I can go. We can tailgate. I can watch Susie play. This and this great. We'll take all the team out for right, dinner. Right. It totally shifts. And then, so when they graduate, I mean, we talk about wanting more and more, right? There's, there's, um, you know, maybe 400 kids a year who graduate from a college squash program. Mm-hmm. And what, what's happening to those kids? Like, where are they going, right? And so, you know, do you feel that the current pattern of parental involvement has affected that at all? Or, sure. or like, I mean, i.e., are these kids playing less? When they graduate, they're just like, okay, I'm done. Totally. Whereas 30 years ago, they're like, oh, this is great. I'll play league. I'll, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. So, so that's happening. Absolutely. That's an so that's effect. My, uh, that's my perception. I mean, I don't know what the actual numbers are, but it, it, the perception is. Yeah. So I teach physical education at Trinity. And the first day I tell these young people, when you graduate, this is a squash one class. They've never played before. When you graduate, you're going to be in a, in a metropolitan area. And you're going to be able to get, have access to squash courts. You will have no access to tennis courts. Too expensive or right. corporately owned. You can join the Princeton Club of New York for $30 a month. And when you get out of work at 10 o'clock at night, you can go to the Princeton Club and there will be 15 other kids like you hanging around the squash center. But the kids that are playing in college won't do that. They won't be there. I'm not seeing it. Right. I mean, you, you have a small segment who go into, uh, you know, working as a, as a high school college coach or as a teaching pro. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But generally, those are kids from overseas. 100%. Um, but the American-based kids, they're, they're, they're not playing. They're know? on their way. And so what, that's changed. Um, and that's a real, I mean, that's a real problem because we want... You know, unlike a lot of sports, we have a very, very strong collegiate system. Mm-hmm. For those who aren't turning pro, we want them to stay in the game. Yeah. Well, I think we got to back up the video, and we got to focus in on those formative years before they go to college. So it's like the bronze tournament under 11s is yeah. where this is all starting. Yeah. And, you know, I owe, uh, I, absolutely. To me, if Tommy, and, and I'm using this as an academic analogy, but it certainly fits in squash. If Tommy is a C student, he works very hard, he does his homework, but that's who he is. He's a good kid. When you introduce him to your friends, he looks them in the eye, shakes their hand. What's wrong with Tommy? Mm. Tommy will advance, but if Tommy is a C player in squash, he will not advance. He will put that game down. Right. Right. We're sort of like legislating out mediocrity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you have to be exceptional. And what's wrong with just playing Being okay. pack a shack and squash? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and in Europe and all of that, when they had clubs and bars at night and people would sit around and have a few beers after the game, yeah. Yeah. that was a different kind of a deal. Yeah. And it was much less emphasis on, on how fabulous you were. But yeah. we are definitely pigeon- moving that thing into a very pointed funnel. funnel. Yeah. So what do you, how do you talk to um, 
Like, you know, if you had, like, here are the five magical steps that you would, you know, advise, like, you know, as a, when you're a parent yourself, you have young, young kids at home, um, mm -hmm. you know, how do you, like, what's your advice? Let them fail. First and foremost. So how do you let them fail? Let them fall. Let them skin their knee. Celebrate that as a part of the journey and jump in at that moment and say, wow, what just happened? This is pretty cool. This is actually going to mm. be, you, this is going to be a lot of this in your life. Well, you life. said to me a couple of days ago, like, you know, when they're waddling down the hall yeah. and, and they're, you know, a year and a half old and they tip over, don't, don't run over and pick them up. Just say, yay. They actually wipe themselves off and walk away without mm. tears. Mm. And, and that's, that is, I think, um, where we need to go. It's let them fail. The other thing is let them have seasons. Let them do many things mm. and ultimately let their passion drive what you support in their lives. Right. Uh, good example, my daughter, Emma, has got a worse voice than Janis Joplin, but she loves to sing. Right. So she, she just joined the choir. And it's painful, but she loves it. We would never do that if it was a squash person. Right. That kid's got no rack hand-eye coordination. Let's get him out of squash. But right. if he loves it, right? you know, so I think you've got to provide. We are responsible for providing opportunities. And, and just because the soccer coach says this could be the second coming of Pele, and then you give up all the other activities, well, I'm recruiting a young man right now who's a terrific soccer, squash, and lacrosse player. He's looking at colleges. And he has decided, I have to give this up. Give up what? I have to focus on one sport. Right. I have no choice. Which one's he giving up? He's giving up soccer and lacrosse. Uh, and, lacrosse. And, and I'm saying that's a mistake. And well, how many people at Trinity are doing more than one varsity sport? Oh, very few. But, right. but, but I mean, in the old days, right? When you got who, there, you had, oh, didn't yeah. have a lot of Johnny that? Freeman, all those guys. Right. Um, but I think we need to let them have seasons. You know. You, I joked about this at a speech in Greenwich. If I want to see a balanced child, I'll go into the garage. And if in there I see a pogo stick and a soccer ball and a jump rope and a box of reading, and summer reading, and tennis racket with a patch job and a squash racket, that's a balanced child. If you walk into any garage in Greenwich, the Connecticut, yeah. you're going to see three rackets with brand new technofiber strings standing against the garage door. That's, what we're, that's where we are. Yeah. And we want to raise balanced children in that. We're missing the boat. So you have to almost <clears throat> have a rule, like, you know, <clears throat> April, that's it. Mm -hmm. Or whatever, whatever the timing, you know, during the year. New season. You have to take time off from one yeah. thing and go do another. And, and, and by doing that, you're pretty much ensuring your children to fail. Yeah. In, in terms of keeping up with yes. the Joneses. Yes. But aren't we preparing our children for what happens after college? Right. For life. For not, life. Not for college. Yeah. yeah. You know, this entitlement thing. I spoke recently at the CEO Club of Boston, and one of the CEOs said to me, what do we do about these kids that come here? And they think that after the first year, if they're not earning $300,000, there's something wrong with the company. <laughs> Really? That's what you're dealing with? <laughs> That's your problem? <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know, I'm in education. 
you're not. They're a meritocracy. If that's what they think, you got to crush them. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really think we need to go back to what Dr. Lair said. When your child was born, what were your... Why were you, why'd you get into squash? And when you got into squash, why? Yeah. why what were your goals for them? Yeah. And because they had some ex success along the way, why did you abandon those things that were most important? So the, the, uh, <clears throat> I remember reading a couple years ago that when Ohio State won the national title in football, they, somebody went through all the players on their team and something like 92% or 97% of the players had played more than one var they played more than one varsity sport in high school mm -hmm. before going to Ohio State yep. and that <clears throat> Urban Meyer or whatever had this recruiting philosophy of really trying to find kids who who played more than one sport even through high school mm -hmm. so do you ever you know think about that when you're recruiting about trying to or are there just no three sport athletes left yeah, for you to get. Sadly, that day is gone. Um, I, don't th I don't think it's going to come back. Um, uh, but here, here's something interesting for you. So I do a little bit of work with, with a company. And they're all about, and, and almost all the companies will tell you in their hiring practices, they look for athletes mm. to hire. Right. Because right. those people have learned how to win, learned how to lose, learned how to adjust on the fly, right. are good at coming up with a strategy, blah, 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 blah. But you know what the interesting thing is? They never talk about at what level right. did this athlete play. Right. That's not important to them. Right. But why the hell is it so important to us? Right. In fact, you know, maybe you, arguably you'd say, well, you know, oh, did they play, you know, a Division One college sport? You'd be like, well, maybe they're a little too... Yeah. Totally. Um, they're just monochromatic. Looking for, yeah, they, they're looking for people that are have have had experience. Mm. I've sat in on some of this stuff and and I've seen resumes that are perfect. Right. And um, perfect grades, perfect SATs out of MIT. And the reaction is we don't want to hire this person because this person has never failed. Yeah. Right. It's actually said. I interviewed a young man <clears throat> from MIT, and I said, what was the worst experience you ever had? What was your biggest setback? And he, he pondered, and he pondered, and he said, I had to drop a class once. That was your biggest setback? We're so on this perfectionism yes. track. 4.0. And, and that's right. the iPhone to a very large extent. Well, social media particularly, social media. right? Like yeah. Everything looks great. You know, I just, I, I, I think we need to let these we let we need to let these kids be human and fail yeah. and celebrate yeah. that moment. Yeah, because that's where all the learning. All the learning occurs. happens. Yeah, the learning doesn't happen when you win. No, it, no, you just you're on to the next one. Yeah, you're on to the next one. When you lose, the train stops. Whoa, what just happened here? The other thing I tell parents is you, you take your child to what, how you act says much more than what you say. Mm. We go down to the JCT, uh, you know, Johnny, I want you to give your best, you know, that's all you can give. Johnny loses, parent gets in the car, drives back to New York, gets on the phone and starts doing work. Johnny is sitting in that car alone for three and a half hours, you know what he's thinking? Daddy's pissed off at me. 
But that's not, so you've got to really reevaluate your behavior. How, am, yeah. I, am I truly empowering this right. young person to learn? And it's, we just missed the boat. Yeah. And you think it's going to get worse. I mean, going forward, it's, we got to put in, we have to put in structural guardrail somehow, or, or, or I mean. I think, I think U.S. squash has a real opportunity here to be leaders. Mm. And I know it's part of the mission, but I think um, constantly pulling it back. So yeah. Wait a minute, what are we doing here, gang? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, you know, it's interesting, when David Gannick um, gave the money to endow the Gannick chair, these were the things he was focused on. Sportsmanship, in, but, integrity, and, like integrity, what's the journey here? Crossing over. Yeah. Can we bring young people to tournaments who maybe weren't as good as some of the others because they're just such good citizens on court. He actually had a very broad and vision still has a very yeah. big vision. I think these are the things we need to continue to really harp on. Yeah. This stuff flows, but can we really get in there and help these young people learn to be better people through sport. It's right. the MacArthur quote. That's exactly what it is. I don't think I've ever talked to you where you haven't brought up the <laughs> but MacArthur quote. Well, because it changed my life. <laughs> it absolutely changed my life. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Now, I mean, I, I, I've seen this with you know, having a, um, a little guy going to bronze tournaments, mm -hmm. and you know, he'd play in a bronze tournament in April and hadn't played in two months. And everybody else had been doing clinics, you know, all spring, and and uh, you know he he had been doing another another sport, mm -hmm. and feeling like he was falling behind because I hadn't been yeah sending him to every day, you know, having lessons. Your child on the other side of it is going to be a more balanced, yeah. healthier yeah. human being. Well, hopefully. Oh wow, growing up with me. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So the, do you think about this differently for overseas kids, or is it really just the same no matter where they're from? It's becoming more the same. It used to be that young people would come over here and um, they were a little more mature. They'd been a little more world travel. They came over here. They were a little bit more on top of their stuff. But yeah. now the parents are all over it. Well, you used to say, I mean, the, 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 before smartphones and Internet, emailing, you, you, they would just give you the kid, and you know, four years later, they'd come and pick him up, kind of thing. If right? they could afford to get there, right? I mean, it was you, you were really the the the, the parent and for that, that. but now it's not that way at all. No, no, these guys are all, are all every day. They're involved. They're facetiming and mm -hmm. skyping, and so yeah. these kids aren't sort of twisting and and having to figure it out on their own. You know, the other interesting thing that's happening internationally is we are seeing a lot. I I think a fair amount of people getting um, financial aid that, are, that really don't qualify for it. I, I see people, uh, kids will come over and they, and they have a big financial aid package. Oh my gosh, you know, we can't afford to come, oh, woe is me. Johnny gets a, the fee, a flu and they're, on, they're in flying first class. And it's like, what just happened? Mm, yeah. Why, and with Americans, because we have the calculator, we can tell exactly what kind of age you're going What's to happening. qualify for. Right. It's very confused over there. So they're, they're actually, some of them, not all of them, are actually starting to play the system. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. But they, you know, in a way, a lot of these kids like didn't play three sports. Like They've really been focused on overseas, focused on, on squash, maybe thinking about turning pro from an early age, coming from mm. a country where 
you know, there's no teams. It's it's an individual mm -hmm. sport. I mean, we have the the national middle schools, national high schools. Like we do have a lot of team squash mm -hmm. going on sure. comparatively. Absolutely. And so those kids come over and have a harder time adapting to the team aspect of, oh, of it's college. A, that's a because huge they, their their whole life had been it's all about me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? um, Although the beauty of it is they're far they're a long way from home. And they all need the approval, and they all we're, we're social creatures, right. and they do learn. You know, if I don't sort of fit in they here, out. I'm going to I'm going to be all alone. Right. And um, yeah, yeah. There it balances itself out pretty nicely, but they do go through a pretty traumatic start. There's yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah. yeah. One of the cool, you know, and then you've got some kids like the Americans that learn how to straddle the fence. Like Tommy Wolf was amazing. His best friend was Eduardo Pereira, and his parents would hang out with their parents. And he was one of the first ones, as we started to see more international recruits uh, coming over, where he didn't Embrace feel that. threatened at yeah, all by exactly. that. Yeah. It was a beautiful thing. Right. He was a beautiful guy. Well, that is what happened in the beginning, was you know there was all this resistance. Sure. Um, and uh, you know, feeling that they were sure. being taken advantage of, or that somehow the, the, the system had been broken or changed, or yeah. there was a... Yeah. There was a uh, a malfunction. I remember a very good, a, a very good American player, early on. Just sitting with his hands, his face in his hands, after losing a match to an international player, and just saying, "It's just not fair. It's just not fair." <laughs> and now we don't have that right. same attitude. Which, yeah. and the beauty of it is, two thirds of the kids playing college squash are still. Americans. Homegrown, yeah. which is well, great. Right, more than two-thirds. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, in 20 years, when you're still coaching, what do you, I mean, is this going to be uh, um, still I the dynamic, or is, it, is the pendulum going to switch it back back over some? We are, it's, things are exploding here. It will be interesting to see where we go. I would like to hope that U.S. Squash and the CSA can influence the direction and pull us back to the values that we all aspire to, yeah. you know. Um, so would that be like changing, uh, recruiting, uh, uh, you know, requirements, the, the system of recruiting? Or is that really an NCAA thing? Yeah, and we're not an NCAA sport, but, but, we but, follow but our institutions are. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's out of control. What's happening in recruiting now? In other sports, in, in squash as well. Yeah, it's out of control. Um, totally different. Yeah, the game has changed within the last three years to the level that you, it just blows. So there, are the two things, two things that will make me ultimately leave college coaching, will be one, the recruiting. Mm. It's a bloody war, mm. and it's not being played cleanly. Mm. And two, I don't want parents in my classroom. Right. And, you know, there's a wonderful uh, quote from Alonzo Stagg. They asked him, how is your team going to be this year? And his answer was, talk to me in 20 years. Right. I, let's, let's let this thing be all about the development of young people so that they can be successful members of society. Well, so many coaches have told me this weekend that they are recruiting not solely about the kid, but the recruiting about the parents. That oh. you know you're, you're, you're getting this package. It's a package deal. So, of course, you have the kid there physically, but you also have the parents 
uh, in your life so much that you know sometimes you're like, well, I don't know if I want to recruit that kid because I'm going to get mm -hmm. somebody who's difficult to, to yeah. deal with. We that that is the whole re that's the whole visit then. And we learn very early on in the recruiting process what red flags there are in that household. And um, I get, if I get an email from a parent as my first email about a young person, they're already one leg in the grave. Because they, how are you going to let that go? Why didn't Johnny email me? Right. Does he really want to come yeah. or is this your yeah. Yeah. Or the coach or the pro. Right. I don't want to hear from you guys. Um, I'm also a little different. I believe the first contact between a coach and, and an athlete should be generated by the athlete. I want them to say I'm interested. Right. I don't want to go down and beg. Um, now, I've been lucky we are pretty good, but, but I won't do it even if we're not pretty good. Yeah. I want you to say this is one of the schools I'm really interested in. Right. And um, right. ownership. Again, it's ownership. You must talk, every, every coach of every sport must be dealing with this, right? This isn't a squash thing. Oh, no. So I'm every a, sport, right? So I'm a consultant for UNC Tennis. Sam Paul is one of my best friends. I'm actually going down there next week to talk to the team, and I'll get to meet Anson Dorrance, which I'm really excited about. You can, in Division I tennis, mm. you have no idea what's going on in there. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So I won't mention the school, but you know we're not allowed to see um, recruits on campus exercise. I'm not allowed to see, if your son comes to visit Trinity, he can't play with the boys. I'm not allowed to watch that. You're, you, they, he can play with the boys, but you can't. I can't be around. You can't be around. So why? Um, That's just how the NCAA does it. Well, yeah, so think about it. The NCAA is based on one thing protecting the young people from unscrupulous coaches. Right. That's why they exist. So if I've narrowed it down to five boys, and I say, okay, this is your recruiting weekend. Yeah, let's watch you play against You're gonna play, and, and I'm gonna tell you right now whether you've made the team or not. How unfair would that be? Yeah. So, um, okay. and so um, there is a division one basketball program, and what they did was they had a recruiting weekend, and they said, okay, we're going to have an open basketball scrimmage this weekend open to the world coaches won't be there to watch it okay so all the recruits are coming on campus but you know who was there michael jordan wow wow so they find ways to work around the rules yeah so, anyways, it's it's. I mean, every sport's dealing, right? Fencing, yeah. soccer, you name it, and mm -hmm. they're all international. They have the same pressures of squash, where you have, you know, Americans, and then you have the international. Uh, Maybe not not in football. I wouldn't think because that that's our Probably sport. Not, but I mean, yeah, most of the baseball, sports, most tennis. of the sports, tennis is crazy, right? Crazy. When when you were coaching at Trinity, did you have the same parental thing These in guys, tennis? Yeah. Because uh, there's so much money in tennis, that professional tennis, that, that the parents have these expectations that are different than squash? Not in the Division Three world. <clears throat> so they're not, if they're looking for money, that's not, they're not coming to Trinity. Those kids aren't turning pro. No. No, 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 no. They, one or two a year might mm. go out and bump around in the qualies for a while. But no, that's, that's not a driving force. But in Division One, you know what's going to be interesting? I predict... 
So James Blake went to Harvard for two years. Of course, everybody talks about James Blake being a Harvard guy. To, to my knowledge, he doesn't have a diploma yet. But regardless, I think there's going to come a day where somebody's going to come to college in the United States, play for two years and turn pro. Mm -hmm. And go pro, not mm -hmm. turn pro. Right. In a very twisted sort of way. You want to see that? That might be a sign that we've made it to mm -hmm. another level in squash. Right. Right. The problem is there's not as much money out there. So if I turn, if I go pro, you know, Ali Farag is amazing, but how many Ali Farags are there? Um, Victor Kroon might be well on his way. But um, yeah. for our guys yeah. out of Trinity, they, they fell in love with doubles. So they mm -hmm. went into the teaching pro world, not to become teaching mm -hmm. pros, but to broaden their Rolodex of contacts. Right. So that through that, maybe they would get a job. Mm. And then they fell in love with doubles, mm -hmm. and then that became a cool right. thing. Right. Um, even that has changed. And uh, when I recruited people internationally five years ago, I recruited them to come to get an education and get a job. No more. Now I recruit them to come and get an education so that they can go home and work in a multinational company where their multiple language skills advantage them. And having a Trinity degree. And having a Trinity degree, so that possibly if they want to work their way back to the United States, they can. Through, through the company now. Right, because this way they can't keep up. Huh. It's changed that much in a couple of years. Yeah. Things are changing around us so, so fast. So fast. Yeah. And to be successful, you got to find a way to get out in front of the front edge of the surfboard. Right. Not tip over. Well, it's all sort of doom and gloom. It feels like you know, as a parent of young young people, like I'm. You know. Not if you go back to the priorities. Mm. They may not play at. Right. An Ivy League school, or they may. Yeah. But there's still places for them if that's yeah. what they want their extracurricular activity to be. Yeah. Well, we always talk about the sign at the at the base of Katahdin up in Maine, and it says, um, uh, "This is your final destination. Your final destination is your safe return to this sign. It's not to get to the summit of Katahdin, but to get back here." Yeah. And we always talk about what's the final destination of this journey, right? It's, you know, it's not to get ranked X or, you know, get to Y college. It's about, you know, being 50 and in this community and enjoying... MacArthur all over again. Right. All over again. Mm. What did you learn through sport by winning and losing? In the later the games, fields. In the yeah. later fields will make you successful. Right. That's what it is, right? That's what it is. It's, we have to go back to that. Yeah. Outside the Glass would like to thank our producer, Grant Irving, and all our loyal listeners who have reviewed and rated the podcast, shared their enthusiasm for it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and more importantly, have spread the word by talking about Outside the Glass with their squash friends. And may all your nicks roll.